Good morning. Welcome. I'm glad you're here with us today. It is a special day for us. If you weren't in here earlier and you didn't catch this already, but it is the birthday of the church today. So we are six years old as a church. Um, I actually share my birthday with the church, or pretty close anyway. Church was started on officially on March 19th of 2017. 2017. Get that right. I was officially started on March 15th of 1981. Okay, so I share a birthday. I'm not big on birthdays. Like I'm one of the. I'm like I'm a realist. Some of you might call that a pessimist, but I say it's. I'm a realist. I'm just like my birthday comes around and I'm like got another one. You know, like made it another year here. Right? Let's shoot for one more and see where it goes. You know. So anyway, I am. A, would you mind turning this down just a little bit for me? I feel like I'm shouting. I just don't want to. Boom at you. All right, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it is a big deal for our church to be six years old and a wild six years it has been. <laughs> it has come sort of in seasons. You know, we had three years where we met at Irwin Middle School. We had one year where we were meeting digitally on YouTube and then two years here in the theater. And it's always happened in the middle of March. It's like, Good things happen in the middle of March. I don't know what to say, you know? So, like, we launched in the middle of March. It was March. Remember, it was, like, it was like second week of March 2020 when everything shut down. And it was March of 2021 when we started meeting here at the theater. And so, um, I just, what's going to happen next year? I don't know, you know? So, we're so thankful for the time that we've had. And I've spent some time this week reflecting back over. You know, I reflected over my life. That's what a birthday makes you do, right? So, I just shaved my beard off so I would look a little younger. I don't know if it works, but it just reminds me that I'm so out of shape. That's what it actually reminds me. I like, I shave my beard off and I look at my face. I'm like, ooh, I forgot, you know, (laughs) I was covering a lot. But anyway, um, so yeah, you think about, you think about the past, you think of, and so I've been doing that with the church, the six year anniversary of the church, thinking back and, and boy, you know, you go through life and things just happen and they don't, you know, they seem normal. And then you look back in retrospectively, and man, you think, wow, we've done so much together. So many incredible things have happened over the last six years, and I can't even imagine just what this next year has in store for us. And to to look at all of you and know that some of you were there with us week one. In fact, most of the people who are on our launch team week one are still a part of our church, which is, by the way, unheard of in church planting, Um, just because we love each other, I think. And, uh, and we were able to get over things. When we have issues with each other, we're gracious. And so uh, we've been sticking together for a long time. And some of you are brand new. And it's just great to see what God has done and who he's brought together over the last six years. And to think, what is it going to be? I, I don't even know. We'll have to wait and see. But it's been fantastic. And I was, I was actually reflecting this week a bit over the teaching series that we've done uh, as a church together. And it's been really, really neat to kind of see the journey we've gone through. And some of the ones that I just remember so fondly, uh, we did a series called Fishing for the Moon. And uh, it came from this idea that a man sees the moon in the water and he wants to grasp it. And so he tries to fish in the water for it. And so he's trading uh, a reflection, an imperfect reflection of what is perfect and true when he could have just looked up. And so we talked about the things in life that we trade um, that are imperfect reflections of what God has created to be perfect and good and should be chasing after. That was a great series. And I just remember that one. And so I was thinking about that this week. And then I was thinking about um, the John series that we did. We went through the Gospel of John. That was fantastic. We, we actually started that at the uh, beginning of 2020, the, I think like the fourth week of 2020. 
20. And uh, we were walking through the Gospel of John, and it was incredible. And then we got a little bit interrupted in the middle of it in, the, in March of 2020. But that was fantastic. And then two years ago in the fall, we did a series on James, and that was an incredible series we went through. But of all those things, of everything that we've done as far as the teaching side goes, my favorite thing is what we're doing right now, going through the book of Romans. And I don't know if that's just like... The priority of the present is just because we're in it that I love it so much. But um, we've been started in the fall. We've been working our way through the book of Romans, taking 30 weeks to do it, which is a long time for us. But in order to do it justice, um, we're still flying through. Like we're going to do an entire chapter today, Romans chapter 13. So we're going to do an entire chapter. We're still flying through it. But if you have your Bibles and you want to start turning there, it has been so encouraging just to see the good news, the gospel laid out for us so clearly and now to really start digging into it, the last part of Romans, how it transforms us, how it changes the way that we think and look at the world. He's set the, the stage for the Romans. He's, he, he's made it so clear, Paul, who wrote Romans, has made it so clear that we are separated from God by our sin. And there is no way we can be good enough or keep a set of rules well enough, whether it's the Old Testament law or whether it's a new set of rules. There's no way we can keep that well enough to be justified in front of God. And so thankfully, God in his mercy sent Jesus to, he, to earth, his son, fully God and fully man, gave his life on the cross in our place. And it's only by faith in Jesus, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus, that we can be saved. Not by our effort, but by trusting in Jesus for salvation. And if you've never done that before, you can put your faith in Jesus today. Maybe you've been trying, you've been trying, you keep all the rules and you've been trying to be good enough. You've been trying to earn your way to God and you're never going to do it. And so today, you need to put your faith in Jesus for uh, justification. That's the word, to be justified before God. And then Paul shifts gears, and he says, he says, now that you've been justified by faith in Jesus, now God wants to save you. And he uses that word a little differently than we use that word, so we've got to keep it straight. But he said, now God wants to save you. He wants to deliver you out of the world. He wants to deliver you from the wrath and penalty of sin here and now. He wants to transform you. And again, you don't do that by keeping the law either. It's not by keeping the Old Testament law or any kind of new law. It's not by keeping rules. That's not the way you do it. You are transformed by the presence and power of the Spirit in you, teaching you and leading you through God's word and leading you in your life. And so it's not by rules. It's never by rules. It is by uh, justification, is by faith in Jesus, and salvation or uh, sanctification, discipleship, spiritual maturity, whatever you want to call it, is by the Spirit. And so we walk in Him. And it is freeing to know that. It's freeing to know that because we're not constantly holding ourselves up against the measuring stick. We, we are just looking at Jesus and pursuing Him and being, becoming like Him. And God's promise to both justify you through Jesus' death and his resurrection and also to save you by the Spirit, those promises are something we can take to the bank. Paul proves it by talking about the promises that God has made to Israel and the fact that God is going to fulfill his promises to Israel as well. And so we stand on all of that and ask the question, as we turned the corner last week in Romans chapter 12, to ask the question, now what? What does that do? What does that change? How does, it, how does it impact me? How does it change the way I look at the world, at other people, at myself? How is this, on a, on a ground level every day, going to change the way that I walk, the way that I think, the way that I talk, the way that I do everything, the way I make decisions, the way I spend money, the way I organize my calendar, the way I orient my relationships? How is the good news going to change all of that stuff? And we talked last week about uh, overcoming evil with good. 
the transformation that God is in the process of transforming us into the glorious image of Jesus. And one day that will be complete, but until that day, that is a process he has us in, in our life. And it changes the way that we look at the people and we look at the world. We are going to rise above and live and walk on a different level than we used to. We are going to walk in the light and not in the darkness. When someone, uh, when someone attacks us, when they persecute us, we are not going to fight back. We are not, we are not uh, going to allow evil to overcome us again. When uh, he said in Romans chapter 12, he said, uh, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. That's about even how we talk about them. He said, when, you're, when your enemy attacks you, you're not going to respond with evil. You're going to serve them. If they're hungry, you're going to give them food. If they're thirsty, you're going to give them drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. And he finishes with the line, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That we are going to rise above, we're going to live on a different level. And that includes the people who are hurting us, who are attacking us, who are disagreeing with us, the people that we are at odds with, that we might even consider enemies. Now, I don't know who you think about. When I talk about enemies, we may, and our minds may go a lot of different places. But I think for those in Rome, it would have gone to two very specific places. It would have gone first to the, to the Jews because they were constantly at odds with the Jewish Christians were constantly at odds with the Jews, fighting and arguing and all of this. And you see that in Jesus' ministry. Well, Paul already dealt with how they should think about them. He spent three chapters. We took four weeks to talk about that. But their mind would have gone second to the Roman government, to, the, to the, the governing authorities that were over them. So when we move into Romans chapter 13, Paul is going to spend some time right now talking about the, governor, the government, the governing authorities, and how they should think about them. This would have been right at the forefront of their mind. So a little bit of history, just so we're, we're aware. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, but the church is not formalized, and there's no central church in Rome. It is house churches. It's, it's groups of people around the city. It hasn't been able to organize yet. It's because there's been a lot of disruption within the church. Um, if we can back up a little bit, um, the, the emperor in um, 48 AD was, the emperor was named Claudius. So was Emperor Claudius was in charge of the entire Roman Empire. The Roman Empire really was starting to s- sort of come up. It wasn't kind of what you think of yet. It was still on the upswing. But the, um, the emperor was Claudius. And Claudius had these groups in Rome of Jews and Jewish Christians who were constantly arguing and fighting and going back and forth. Like I said, you can see that in, you know, starting in Jesus' ministry. Of course, it continued. And so he had all these issues. And he, he got so fed up. We don't know exactly why, but he got so fed up with the Jews. He just called them the Jews, but it would include Jews and Jewish Christians He got so fed up with them that in 48 AD, he banned them from the city. He said, you guys are not allowed, you troublemakers are not allowed in Rome anymore. All right, we have too many problems. And then there was concern, there was concern about uprising and probably talk of uprising as well because people misunderstood the gospel and they thought Jesus' kingdom was going to be here and now. And so their job was to overtake ultimately the government. So they're concerned about sedition and uprising and revolution and all of that. And certainly the Christians might've been talking about that and there might've been concern about it. But for whatever reason, he kicks them out of the city and they're gone for like seven years until 54 AD when Claudius dies. 
Claudius dies, and a new emperor takes his place. That emperor's name was Nero. Now, you may be, some of you might know what ultimately happens with Nero. But at first, he comes into power, and one of his first things that he does is undoes the ban on Jews and Jewish Christians that Claudius had put in place, which means in 54 AD, they're allowed to come back into the city. And the letter that Paul writes to them is written to them about a year later. So they had just come back into the city. They hadn't even organized into a formal church yet. Paul is writing this letter to them so they can get the base of unity and understanding. And one of the things he needs them to to understand is, how do we think about the government that's over us? It just kicked us out, and now we're back in. Are we here to overthrow them? Are we, here to, are we supposed to try and take power? Are we, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to resist them? Is that what this is, a resistance? What are, we, what are we doing? Paul clears that up for them. As gospel people, as good news people, here is how you are to think about the governing authorities that are over you. And while under Nero at the beginning, things were okay, after some time, if you know history, you know that after some time, it was not okay. Ultimately, Nero gets fed up with Christians. There's a big fire in uh, Rome in 70 AD. He blames the Christians for it and begins the biggest systematic persecution of Christians ever seen. It was horrific what he ended up doing. But right now, they have a time of peace. They're back in the city, and what are they supposed to do? And I want to point out that what Paul is going to say to them here. It applies to them right then, but it applies to them 15 years from from then as well, even when they start facing persecution, especially when they start facing persecution. Based on what he said last week, how we're supposed to respond to those who persecute us. All right, so that's where we're going to jump in in Romans chapter 13. He just said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And immediately turns to the government. All right, (laughs) Romans chapter 13. And I'm going to read a little bit and then talk a little bit. We'll just kind of work our way through. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, this may, if I can pause for a second already, this may well have been shocking to them to hear. They may not have thought this at all. Be shocked to hear him say that. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So Paul is saying, there's no, there's like, unequivocally, he's saying, the leaders that are in place, God has put them there. Which you might go, well, how could that be? I mean, what if, what, you know what Nero's going to do in 15 years, right? God put Nero in this spot? Well, I don't know if you remember, but a few chapters ago, Paul talked about how God put Pharaoh over Egypt, and the point of that was so that God could show his power in that situation. So why does God put leaders in place? Why does he do that? I don't know. I don't understand all of his plans. I don't understand how he works all the time. I just have to trust his wisdom in all of that. But he puts them in place. Now, I want to say, because I know not only we're going to talk about this today, but you're going to have conversation in your groups. The easy thing to do when we, have, when we talk about these kinds of things or these things come up is to talk about politics, to talk about political positions. We all have political ideologies about this, this person or this candidate or this, this position or this party or this whatever. We all have thoughts about that. And so all I want to say, I want to, if you're worried about this, let me put you at ease. I had committed, a, when, we, when we started this church, this church was not going to be a political place, Okay. 
that we were going to be unified around being children and citizens of the kingdom of God, first and foremost, and we were not going to have divisive political conversations that were going to separate us unnecessarily. And so we're not going to do that today. I'm not going to talk about candidates or, or people who are in positions of authority or anything like that by name, nothing, no parties, nothing like that. And I want to encourage you not to do that when you get together in your groups this week either. This, what, what he is saying is true across all of history and across all governmental, all governments and all leaders. And there have been ups and downs and there are people we agree with or disagree with or support and don't support. But nevertheless, regardless of all of that, even Nero, who is in charge right now in Rome and knowing what he's going to do. Paul says, there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So it doesn't matter. All of this that he's about to say, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's on the Supreme Court. It doesn't matter what country you live in. And frankly, living in the country we live in, this is easier for us to swallow than it is for people in other parts of the world. I imagine somebody living in a North Korean Christian reading this. This is hard. This is hard. This is a tough pill to swallow, but there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. All right? So let's keep going. Therefore, verse 2 whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Now, if we can pause again, I think it's important to point out this is generally true. <laughs> all right, obviously there are leaders that do evil things, that promote evil things, that have all of that. So this is generally true. This is basically what Paul is setting up. He's saying God puts these governments in place because we need them. We need them. We need governments because if we don't have governing authorities, we will eat each other alive, <laughs> We need boundaries. We need somebody to establish a law. We need somebody to enforce the law. We need all of that. And not only do we need it, Paul is saying they are doing God's work as they do it. All right? So it's really important that we understand that we need this. And it's not always 100% true. Obviously, governments are run by people, and people are not perfect. Far from it. And in fact, the people who rise to the highest levels of government... I hate to say it, but are maybe the most imperfect. <laughs> I mean, what draws you to that level? There's, there's a lot of greed. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of arrogance. On the ground level, I would say a lot less of that. And, and we have really good people that are working in our governmental systems who want to protect people from people, who want to serve people, who want to make sure that we can live together as a nation, as a people, and as a community. And so we need to respect that, appreciate that, and see it for what it is. All right? They're not a terror to good works, but to evil, generally speaking, right? Okay, let's continue. I love this. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. I love this, all right? I, if we can just translate, I guess, into, into modern culture, like, if you don't want to be afraid of the authority, follow the law. David? Do you agree? <laughs> you know, I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. The surest way to not have your blood pressure shoot through the roof when you see a state trooper on the highway, drive the speed limit. Yeah, it works every time, all right? It works every time. Just follow the law and you'll be good. Well, not always, but you know what I mean, right? 
I, I, uh, I worked um, for uh, a time with, um, until recently, with ESI Security, which Jeff Garver owns. He's not in here because he's serving the kids right now in, uh, in Carolina Kids. But a ton of people in our church work for ESI, too. Uh, AJ Ebersold, also with the kids, I think, today, is, uh, is the, the vice president. And Caleb works there. He's also with the kids. Apparently, if you work at ESI, you also have to serve in Carolina Kids. I actually didn't know that until just now. I put it together. Um, but uh, Aaron Plummer works there, and uh, Dwayne works there, and uh, Jeremy works there some. And anyway, so it, it, ESI does a low-voltage electronic stuff, so like uh, security systems and stuff in banks. And um, for the most part, that's the heart of the business. So, but we also do cameras. And so every now and then, we would go to a bank, and the work order would have us putting cameras in the offices, but you always know why they want cameras in the offices. <laughs> and you always knew, you always knew when you walked on site who was up to no good. Because they did not want those cameras in their offices. I'm telling you right now. They'd be hanging out in the door, looking at where we were putting them, you know, asking questions. Now, is this a motion sensor? Like, they want to know everything there was to know about that camera. And you know why, right? They were up to no good. Right? The surest way to not worry about a camera being put in your office is just do good work and don't be shady. You know? So I love this point that he makes. If you want, he says, uh, you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For verse 14, or verse 4, sorry. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So God uses the governing authorities to control and punish evil. Like there are times where God's judgment, God's penalty to someone for what they're doing is the a penalty that is given to them by the criminal justice system. It's what they need, and oftentimes it's what we need in order to keep us in line or to correct us. And so it's good. God uses that. And I think there are times, um, and just sort of a little side note, there's an idea that as a Christian, you have to be a doormat for everything, and that's not true. That if somebody were to commit a crime against you, that your Christian obligation is to not press charges. That's not true. Now, the Spirit may lead you to that for a specific reason in that situation, and if he does, then absolutely do it and trust him to do it. But there are times where God uses the punishment that comes through the criminal justice system, and it's exactly what someone needs. And so that requires spiritual maturity and discernment when we're in that situation. But what Paul is saying is God is using this for good, basically to keep us on the rails. <laughs> we need it, and so we should respect it. All right, verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So not only because you're afraid of getting thrown in the pokey, but also because you need to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night and to know that you are an upstanding citizen, I think is a way to put that. We should be upstanding citizens, citizens in good account. Verse 6, for because of this, get ready for it. Are you prepared? Because of this, you also pay taxes. I know, property taxes came out recently. I heard some people aren't too happy about it. I haven't seen mine yet. I don't know whether I'm happy about it or not. Probably not. 
right? But this is why, <laughs> but this is why, this is why you also pay taxes, for they are God's minister attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We need to respect and appreciate what our governing authorities do for us. Even if we don't always agree, even if we don't always love implementation or whatever decisions that are made, in general, we should be thankful, respectful, and honor the the governing authorities that are over us. If we owe taxes, pay them. Don't pay them if you don't owe them. But if if you owe them, have a good accountant, all right? We just did our taxes. I've got a good accountant. Make sure I pay what I owe. But if whatever you owe, pay it. Because it provides for everyone around you, all right? So pay uh, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Bottom line here is obey the law, pay your taxes, be a good citizen and supporting citizen. Now, one thing I want to make sure we are, we are clear on, this is not a command to do everything the government tells us to do, Okay? If there is a situation, and this can happen, if there's a situation where what the government tells you to do and what God very clearly and directly tells you to do come into conflict with each other, you are responsible to God's command, not man's command. All right, very important. Now, thankfully, we live in a country where that happens a lot less than it does in other places in the world. But that may very well happen. And in that case, you obey God's command, and then you bear the consequences that come along with it. I think Jesus is a great example of this. Well, let me, let me give you an example from um, Acts chapter 5, actually, because Peter is preaching the gospel, and the um, Sanhedrin come to him. That's the Jewish ruling council. Those would have been governing, religious governing authorities for them. Came to him, and they said, you have to stop preaching Jesus. And Peter looks back at him, and he says, no. Nah. is better for me. I will follow God's command, and God's command is to preach Christ, and I'm going to do that, Uh, not man's command. So he just, he's not, he's not having any of that. Think about Jesus when uh, he is on trial, and he's standing in front of Roman officials. One of the only times he actually stood in front of Roman officials, even though he lived under their control, you know, he stands in front of the Roman officials, and uh, he's asked, are you a king? And he says, I am a king. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my disciples would be fighting, but my kingdom is not of this world. Like my job, I'm not here to overthrow you. That's not what's happening now. And ultimately, he submits to the entire process. When Jesus could have stopped, when Jesus could have put, a, put an end to the entire thing, he submits to that process, ultimately leading to his crucifixion. And so if you find that your life, your decisions are in contrast to what God is clearly telling you to do, let's straight about that, clearly telling you to do versus what the government is telling you, you do what God tells you to do, but then you bear with the consequences of, that comes with that. Okay? That's, that's what we should do. And so that doesn't happen often, but it may very well happen. But I was, I was reflecting on this this week, and um, as I was reading, preparing, and it, this, this idea of the benefit that governing authorities provide for us settled on me in a way that it just never has before. And all of a sudden, I was sort of overwhelmed with appreciation for the nation, for the country, for the laws, for the, the, the people who serve and protect us and enforce the laws and, and judge the laws and all that. And I thought, 
what would our life in a world be like if this didn't exist? God puts this in place for our benefit. I was thinking about just myself. How many times simply the fear of getting arrested or, or whatever has kept me from doing certain things? Like I would have acted on that sinful thought, but my fear of the authorities kept me from doing it. That's a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. Just simple things. I was driving, and I think about traffic laws a lot because I get frustrated with how people drive, quite frankly. That's no secret. Use your turn signal. But there are, there are, indicate, I'm not going to, okay. I, I, no, I'm not. Okay. So we have traffic laws. You think about it, you have You have human beings, and we know human beings, right, that are operating like 2,000-pound machines, complicated machines, full of explosive material, by the way. For now, we'll see where things go with electric. But you're, you're operating and driving at high speeds around each other, and somehow we're not constantly banging into each other. How is that possible? Traffic laws and enforcement. Like, it keeps people safe. Drive, we can drive, we can travel, and it's a relatively safe thing to do. And all of that because we have all of this in place. We can be easy for us not to appreciate how God has done that for us, even though it's in in some cases, a secular or, you know, worldly method. But God has put people in place to provide this for us and to take care of us. Imagine if there, were, if there was nobody to make laws and decide what we should all agree on as a, as a society and the guardrails that should be in place. Imagine if we didn't have judges to look at those laws and make sure that they were fair and right. Imagine if we didn't have um, people who set boundaries for us in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights so that we all knew sort of the rules we were playing by and how we were going to take care of each other. Imagine if we didn't have uh, law enforcement to make sure that people in communities were actually following all of these things and make sure there were consequences for people who didn't. What if we didn't have that? What if, we, what if there was no, nobody looking out for workers' rights in companies and companies could just treat their employees however they wanted to? What if there was no environmental regulation? The, with, the, with technology and, the, and all that we have, we would absolutely rip this place apart if there weren't some guidelines on it. Imagine if we didn't have, if we weren't providing education for every child in America for free if they need it. Imagine if we didn't have people who are administrating those schools and, and leading those kids and taking care of those kids. They might not have that kind of thing anywhere else. Imagine if we didn't have the IRS. Might not be. No, that would be bad. You know why? Because people wouldn't pay their taxes. <laughs> right? We need somebody watching out and making sure everybody is contributing to the society. It's all working together, and God's using all of it. It's a good thing. Now, we all have our opinions about this or that, and thankfully, we live in a country where we have the opportunity to be involved in that process. We can vote, and we can lobby, and we can, we can write to our senators and all that. They didn't have that option in Rome. <laughs> they got who they got. You get what you get, and you don't get to pitch a fit. You could just translate this whole thing that way if you wanted to, right? But we get to be involved, and we should be involved. And, and as we are involved in that process, and as we're thinking about what we want things to be, we need to make sure we're engaging in all of that with Christ-like character in all of that. But we also have to deal with what is. And as we deal with what is, we must make sure that we are representing Christ well. He goes on in verse 8, and he says, Owe no one anything 
except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, I've often heard this verse used in the context of saying that a Christian shouldn't have any financial debt, like you shouldn't have credit card debt or whatever else. Um, And obviously, that's an important conversation on wisdom and the biblical, uh, all of that when it comes to debt and, and all that. But I just don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking about what he just talked about. (laughs) And that debt would be taxes or customs or fear or honor. So be on in good accounts in your community and in your nation, right? Not behind on taxes, not withholding fear from whom. (laughs) And and I know that we use that word, we think of that word as a negative thing. But there are people that we need to respect and fear and honor. And so don't be in debt to that. We need to walk with in good standing in our community, in our nation, in our world, so that the only thing that we owe to anyone is to love them. And that everything that we do in our society, in our community, is for that, to love them. So we're not living in the shade. We're not living in the dark. We're not living in fear. We're not waiting to be found out or have the bill come due. or the way. We are walking in the light, in our world, in our nation, in our country, in our community, in good standing. He says, um, verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's interesting when he pulls out these commandments, they're all the one another, they're all the us commandments, that our job is to love our neighbor as ourself. And we do that even in our society, even to the point of paying our taxes, obeying the law, is a way of loving people around us and walking in good standing. It's almost like a keep your head down, keep your chin up and your head down (laughs) when it comes to to the government. I think, about, I think about Jesus um, and how many interactions he had with governing authorities, and the answer is almost none. Jesus lived in a time where the, the, the land that he was, that was uh, he, they were occupied by the Romans. There were Roman officials all over the place, and Jesus had almost no interactions with them. Uh, you've got one where there's a tax collector, a Roman tax collector named Levi, Matthew, and Jesus says, come follow me, and he does. That's not a political interaction. That's a personal interaction. And then he's walking through town one day, and people are packing all around him. And a a Roman tax collector, again, tax collector, they had a lot of guilt. All right, tax collector climbs up into a tree, into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down (laughs) from going to your house today. And so Jesus goes over to Zacchaeus' house. It's one of the character traits of Jesus I wouldn't recommend you take on inviting yourself over to people's houses. But he said, he said, I'm coming to your house today. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And I think the kids learned about this last week, maybe. Um, he goes to his house. Zacchaeus has a transformative experience and promises to pay back all the people that he's cheated and then some. It's incredible. And then Jesus has a, a Roman official whose daughter is sick. And we named our son after this guy. And um, Jesus goes and he raises his daughter from the dead. There are your interactions with Jesus and the Roman authorities until he ultimately faces them in his trial. And there he claims he is a king, but his kingdom is not of this world, and he submits to the entire process. That's how Jesus dealt with the government. And then there are also a couple times where taxes come up, I guess. 
uh, somebody comes to him and says, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? Right? And Jesus uh, says, well, give me one of those coins. He takes the coin. He said, whose face is that? And he said, Caesar's. He said, okay, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. Last time I checked, George Washington's still on the $1 bill. So render unto George what is George's, and render unto God what is God's. There's another time Jesus came into town, and they, he got challenged. He said, don't, doesn't, don't you, uh, actually came to Peter, I think, and said, doesn't your master pay the temple tax? And he said, yep, he sure does. And Jesus sends Peter off to get a, uh, two coins out of a fish's mouth. That's how he pays his taxes, but he, but he paid the tax. So that is the model that we have. And now we do, of course, have the opportunity to involve ourselves more in government today because of the form of government that we have. And I will say for my part, I think our government is not perfect, but I think it's the best we're going to do when sinful people are running it. And so there's checks and balances and all of that. And it's great that we can be involved. So obey the law. Don't owe anything to anyone in that realm. These are all ways of loving. And he says in verse uh, 11, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now our salvation is, he's saying, it's coming. It's coming. And I don't know when, I don't know when it's all going to be complete. I don't know when it's all going to happen, but it's closer right now than it was when we walked in the door today. I was reminded of that with my birthday this week. Turned 42 years old. If you did the math earlier, I did some math this week. Turns out I'm not getting any younger right? It doesn't work that way. It's getting closer and closer and closer. So we need to be aware. We need to be on guard. We need to be ready at all times. We need to walk in the light and not in the dark. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of life, light. We have to snap out of the darkness, snap out of worldly living, and walk and live the way that we were created to, the, what he is transforming us into. And that includes in our communities and in our government and within all, everywhere that we are. We are children of the light, no longer of the darkness. So there's no room anymore for shady living. No more shady living. No more living in the dark and being worried about someone finding us out. That's what he said with the, you want to, you, wanna, you know, not be afraid of the authority, then, you know, do good. Right? You want to not be afraid every time your spouse picks up your, you know, looks at the bank account? Don't do shady things with money. It's actually pretty easy. You want to not panic when your parent picks up your phone to look at your messages? Don't be shady in what you're saying to other people. Don't do anything that you wouldn't want them to see. You, you want to not fear the IRS? Report your income properly and pay your taxes. You'll be fine. We shouldn't be living in the dark. You're afraid of being found out. You're afraid of you getting pulled over and then finding what's in your car. Cut it out. Just We have to walk in the light, not in the dark, so that we're not constantly looking over our shoulder and worrying. We're becoming who God wants us to be. So we're walking in the light, not in the dark. No more, no more none of this shady stuff anymore for us. We're, we're past that. We're living on a different level than that. Let's walk in the light, not in the dark. He says, uh, let us walk properly as in the day. This is verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. 
So just don't, don't provide for the flesh. Don't resource it. Don't outfit it and equip it. Don't plan for it. But put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Not these other things. And it's really interesting, and we're running out of time. So you can do this study on your own. But look at, if you want to do a word study, look at the words revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust, strife and envy. There's a pattern in these words. The first word, it's actually a little bit backwards. The second word is our action, what we do. And the, second, and the first word in each of those pairs, there's, there's three pairs. The first word is our action, and the second word is what happens in the group setting when we, when we act on that. So drunkenness leads to revelry, and you have to look at the words to get the full, the full understanding here. But lust leads to lewdness, and envy leads to strife. So it's about what happens with each other when we do these things, when we don't put on the armor of light and don't put on Christ. We're supposed to equip ourselves, outfit our life, plan, prepare, and resource for good, for the image that we are being transformed into. And I'll get this picture in my head. You ever seen like an action movie? They always have the, uh, like the equipping montage or the, like the suit up montage. You know, they're getting ready to go into the fight. They're getting ready to go into the battle. And like, it's just quick cuts of like zipping up their boots and putting on their belt and putting on the vest and loading the gun or whatever it is, right? You're equipping, you're preparing, you're loading up for what's coming. And that's the picture here. But we're not loading up for a fight. We're not loading up for evil. We're loading up for good, for love. And so we're gonna love in the light. We're no longer going to resource our shady decisions. We're going to equip ourselves for love in the light, walking in the light. I couldn't help but flash back. Just with that imagery, I couldn't help but flash back to college. And I went to a very conservative Christian school, uh, Grove City College in, in Pennsylvania. And even at that really conservative Christian school, I'm telling you, that campus was different in the day than it was at night. It's crazy. It's crazy how things transform when the sun goes down. I, I, don't, I don't quite understand it, maybe because people think that they're not seen, like they can hide more or something. But when the sun goes down, we shift into this different method of thinking where we think we can get away with things or we can be a different kind of person or whatever. But what, this, what he's saying is be who you are in the light. Be who you are in the day. Be, be, be consistent, be authentic so that the same you all of the time, so that fear is gone, fear of the authorities, fear of other people finding you out, fear of what God is thinking about you. You are just walking in the light rather than walking in the darkness. The gospel allows us to do that, to know that we have been forgiven, we've been justified before God, so there's no fear there. And to know that he is transforming us into the glorious image of his son in the spirit, and to know that that's a process and he is walking and there is grace for us all along the way, so there is no fear there. So we can walk fully in our life in the light and not in the dark. And so I just wanna say to any of you who are thinking right now, you're looking at your life and you're looking at different areas of your life and there's a part of your life that is in the dark. You're hoping nobody finds out. You're hoping nobody sees. You're hoping nobody checks those messages or that account or nobody looks in that place or that place or nobody asks that question. That is no way to live. And you were created and God is recreating you for better. And so shed light on that darkness. And walk in the light instead of the dark. 
so that you can walk with your head held high so that you can love the way you were created to love. God wants to do that in all of us. And so let's go to him now and thank him for it and ask for his help as we continue to pursue it. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness and your kindness displayed for us in Christ, his death on the cross for us. We are so thankful that we are your children, that we are forgiven, that we are free, that you are changing us, transforming us, walking with us, guiding us, loving us, teaching us, taking what's in the dark and dragging it out into the light so that we can walk in confidence Help us even as we look at at the world around us, the government, the authorities that are around us, and we agree with things, we disagree with things, we like things, we don't like things, we have opinions and we can be involved and all that is great. But regardless of all of that, God, you want us to walk the same. You want us to walk in the character of Jesus. You want us to walk in love and in humility And so we ask, God, that you would show us how we need to settle accounts in our life. Settle accounts so that we owe nothing except the debt to love. And so, Father, we we ask you right now to do that in us. If there's anybody with us today who's never put their faith in you, Jesus, for salvation and started this incredible life, Pray that right now they would express to you their trust, their faith in your death and your resurrection. They trust you for salvation today. And that as all of us walk together and as we encourage each other and keep each other on the rails in our own little society here, that we would be constantly encouraging each other to walk in the light, to put on the armor of light, to put on Jesus Christ so that we can walk in confidence and joy and peace and hope like you've created us to, like you want us to. And that we can, with no fear or reservation, look forward to the day when it will all be complete. So we offer ourselves to you today, Father. We submit ourselves to you, first and foremost, Though we live in this nation, though we live in this country and are citizens here, we know that our citizenship ultimately is in your kingdom. Jesus, you are our leader. God, you are our father. And we look forward to the day when not only will that be true in our heart, but it'll be true here too. And so for today, we give ourselves to you, to follow you, to live like you to honor you and serve you. Our entire lives are yours. That's our commitment today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.